Here's a tip. Cuando la salsa picante del Spicy Crispy Chicken Sandwich de McDonald's cae en el wrapper, se convierte en un dip para tus papitas. Esas papitas que te llevas con refresco mediano gratis al comprar cualquiera de los Crispy Chicken Sandwiches de McDonald's por el app. Crispy, Juicy and Tender. Es pollo a la McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado en el app de McDonald's. Para pa pa pa. Válido del 28 de febrero al 3 de abril del 2022. Solo en McDonald's participantes de Estados Unidos. Válido una vez por semana. Se requiere descarga y registro de la aplicación de McDonald's. Hey, this is Megan Rapino and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A touch more. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Bulls fans, and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. Thank you to Blue Chew and Bet Online for sponsoring the show. We are here to wrap up the last two episodes of The Last Dance. We're a little late to it because uh, my good old friend C Red Fred decided to have his anniversary and decided to spend his time with his wife rather than me. So I'm feeling a little, a little shocked by the news, a little disappointed, a little. A little heartbroken, to, to be honest with you, to know where I stand in this uh, in this triangle, uh, this triangle love affair, <laughs> Frederick. But can you explain yourself to the listeners? I, well, unfortunately, I don't even know if my wife knows you exist, Mark. I got to be honest. <laughs> That's how little she's interested in my podcasting uh, excellence and you know my minor celebrity status in the Bulls world. So. <laughs> She just said, uh, let's plan on having dinner. So I said, oh, that's fine. And that's pretty much how the conversation went. She doesn't know you're around, but I will tell her about you to make you feel better. Yeah. I'll look, I'm, I'm happy for you to keep me as your uh, secret companion. If that's what you <laughs> want it to be. Companion. When's your anniversary? Isn't it coming up, my man? It's, uh, no, it was what is we're in May. So it was last month. It was last month. Oh, no, two last, ago, oh two congratulations. Happy belated anniversary. I didn't know that. We probably did a show on the night yeah, your anniversary. I wouldn't be surprised. You're more ah, dedicated than I am. Maybe. Maybe I am more dedicated. That is definitely true. But uh, who cares? We move on. We uh, <laughs> yes, I, exactly. I know where I stand now. I know where I stand. But uh, maybe we can resolve this next year. But we are not here to gloat over our, our uh, relationship. We're here to talk about the last two episodes of The Last Dance, which aired on Sunday night. Obviously, the conclusion of the series, the docuseries, it really went into... I guess the last two seasons or the last two playoff runs, really, the the uh, the '97 Finals against the Jazz, the the '98 series Eastern Conference series against the Indiana Pacers, as well as obviously the 1998 Finals against the Utah Jazz again. So that was the main basketball action that we got from this episode, and, uh, and there was a lot of basketball in this ep- episode actually, which was nice to see. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a few other little bits and pieces that I did enjoy, probably even more so than the basketball elements of those two episodes, but um, yeah, I'll throw it to you, mate. What did you make of the last couple episodes? Uh, there wasn't any great revelations. I thought that a couple of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff was really cool after they won, and he's going through the hotel. There were tons of people there, and then he was holding court in his room with a b- bunch of uh, admirers while he's playing piano. 
I enjoyed that. You know, I enjoyed it a lot, but there wasn't really anything I didn't I didn't really know. I think it did a good job of kind of uh really elevating Pippen. I thought, you know, obviously him gutting it out in the game six was a great thing to see. But I, I was a little bit angry and mortified at the at the coverage of uh Tony Kukoc to talk about the Pacers and correctly identify them as probably their biggest rival as far as our biggest threat to winning six titles. That's what they were. I mean, they went seven games and not even mention. He doesn't even get a mention in game seven. I thought was absolutely ridiculous, you know, and it kind of bothered me somewhat since I am a big Kukoc fan, but, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy to let, let that kind of stuff just roll over his back. But what, what say you, did you agree with that? Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same. And I know you and I had been talking about Tony and his lack of appearances beyond uh, whatever episode it was where they focused on 92, the the, the dream team, and obviously fo- facing Kukoc in, 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 in the Olympics. That was really the most of when we saw Tony. And I just kept thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, the, you know, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. He wasn't necessarily a big figure in the early on, 90s, obviously came came more into it in the mid to late 90s. So I, th- I kept thinking that we would get something in you know episodes nine and ten, particularly that they're focusing on uh, that Pacers series and and even the, the Jazz series, the ninety eight series, and particularly with uh, Rodman not necessarily being the same old Rodman, the Bulls were leaning on Kukoc more heavily in those couple last couple of years, or more so in ninety eight. So, yeah, I was surprised to see that we didn't get much Kukoc in in, uh, in, in you know episode ten at least, or even nine against the Pacers series. That that was weird considering you know that was probably. You know, outside of a couple of memorable shots like the, the the shot in '94, which they did mention, his game against the Pacers where he went off for 30 points or whatever, like that—that's probably one of his his most complete iconic games. And not to touch on it, and not to mention his influence on those games, it, it was kind of weird. It was, and he he deserved better. You know, there was just so many comments from Michael and and I think some of the other players, like where it was just like, "Hey, stay out here with me. Don't leave me all alone." Like. Kind of when you say when you make comments like that, you're really mi- minimizing the importance of Tony Kukoc, and I just thought it was a little bit unfair. But you know what? It's not anything I'm going to lose sleep over. But I know how important he was. I know he had 21 points in that deciding Game Seven. I know he had 30 points in Game Five and was abs- against the Utah Jazz in '98. He was absolutely outstanding. I know how important he was to the Bulls. I felt like that year he was even slightly more important due to the fact that Pippen had so many injuries and was gone for so such a large part of the season. I thought he was more important than Scotty on the offensive end, without a doubt. Defensively, he'll never come close to Scotty Pippen. But uh, you know, I just thought it was a little bit unfair. And then it led into the debate of you know could they have won seven? That was a real gut shot. Something I kind of always kind of felt deep down that Michael probably wanted to play one more season and for him to finally come out and say it. It really hurt. And uh I don't know. I started crying. My son actually saw me started crying when, when he said that. I was I was combination of anger, disappointment, but it just goes back to what I said before this. It's a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy that the Chicago Bulls did not get a chance to defend their sixth title. Uh I don't think it's something to be positive and look at at all. You know, all of life ends in an L. We all die at some point. Um, and most great champions are their their last game usually ends in an L. If it's Muhammad Ali or the New England Patriots, um, the Bulls deserved a shot at number seven. They didn't get it, you know, for a wide variety of reasons, and it, it brings me sorrow. Yeah, look, I I, I was definitely wanted to touch on this because I, I felt it, it was a weird feeling at the conclusion of watching this. Obviously, I 
thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I probably wanted it to be more ball centric than Jordan centric, to be honest with you. Uh, in a lot of ways, it was a Jordan propaganda film, which, you know, I'm completely fine with because I am part of the, uh, part of the masses that want to see anything related to Michael Jordan, particularly new footage. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, obviously like him, uh, sharing his thoughts on all, on his entire career, essentially. So that, I was always going to sign up to it no matter what they put out, but there were some things that I was disappointed with more generally with the, with, with the documentary. But I mean, thinking about more so how I felt leaving the end of episode 10, I, I, I was just more mad and just angry based on the way it ended, though, as you sort of suggested, you know, the fact that they didn't get a chance to come back and, and, and at least go for number seven. Who knows if they, they want it, but you know, just to see Jordan. Just, just be, I guess, disappointed and mad, still holding that grudge 20-odd years later on that, you know, Reinsdorf, Kraus, whoever else didn't allow that team to go out on their own accord. Jordan basically had to go into retirement. And just to think that, you know, the Chicago Bulls, after all the money that Michael Jordan had made the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan made the Chicago Bulls more so globally, but to, just to... Just for Jerry Krause to say that he didn't want to bring back the team or certain players of that team because they, he didn't want to pay above market value for those players after Jordan has made you a billionaire and has turned, turned your fr- franchise into an absolute global icon. Like that line infuriated me so much to the point where I just left the documentary feeling just so angry. And, you know, the, the 10 hours that I had preceded that, I almost had forgotten based on that one line. Now, maybe that says more about me than it does some other people who could sit there and rationalize it and separate it all and and do all that but i just couldn't help but feeling just super disappointed super angry and just you know what a what a disgrace it was to have the greatest player of all time on your squad and you essentially sent him into retirement because you didn't want to you know empower him or bring back the team and and just sort of let him end his career the way he wanted to do it which he should have had every right to do we we talked about player empowerment i think last week or perhaps even the, the week before about if this was today Someone like MJ, even or even LeBron, they would be dictating what the franchise franchise does and 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 can do. But for whatever reason, back when MJ was playing, even though he was the greatest of all time, he he's he ha- he virtually had no power. I mean, it was all about Ryan's up. It was all about Kraft. So I, I was just really annoyed at it at the end and like really angry, which I didn't. Ex- I sort of expected to feel, but not to the not to the level that I did. See, it's still mixed for me with Reinsdorf because I do feel like. You know, he did try to step in twice previously. I, I have, I hold, harbor most of the ill feelings towards Kraus. Like the idea that Kraus wanted to break up the team in the after they won seventy two and ten is just insane to me. I'm glad that Reinsdorf stepped in and prevented that. I'm glad he stepped in again after that. And according to the documentary, he called Phil Jackson after the was it the day after they won and said, "I want you back." So there was some kind of half hearted attempt there. And at some part of me also believes like. I thought Pippen really had declined to the point. I mean, it's proven. Like, did he really live up to that contract that he signed, that massive contract with Houston in the sign-in trade that eventually went to Portland? I mean, some might argue, yes, I I thought he faded considerably after that. Um, But that's the problem is if if the Bulls would have drafted Michael Finley instead of Jason Caffey in 1995 – Jordan might have been more likely to come back even if Pippen walked. That was the whole problem is that they were put in a position where they had to sign Pippen to uh, a long-term contract where if they were a little bit more smart and aggressive, they could have maybe torn up their previous agreement and signed them under more reasonable terms in 1996. So, But when it gets down to it, to me, it's clear 
I mean, why this happened. And I could really summarize it best by John Jackson in an excellent Hoops Right, Hoops Hype article. He was the beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times from 94 to 99. And I'm going to read this as, quote, Jerry Krause was ready to break up the team at that point, and Jerry Reinsdorf didn't want to bring back the team because the Bulls' payroll in 97-98 was around $61.3 million, and to bring the team back, it would have been at least $80 million. Winning championships was great for Reinsdorf, but considering the revenue they brought in in 97-98, that wasn't one of their more profitable years. The 1998-99 season was probably their most profitable year ever because the payroll was around 28.6 million and the revenue was roughly the same. So Reinsdorf wasn't opposed to breaking up the team either. End quote. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, you have a payroll of 28.6 and although the team is awful, United Center was still filled. There's only a certain amount of Delta and what you could do in, in, in making more money. Like you can't add seats to the United Center. So even if you did bring them back, I think the Bulls would have been less profitable. I don't think there's any question about that because Phil would have cost a ton. Michael would have cost a ton. A bunch of one-year contracts that those players would have cost a ton of money. And the Bulls were actually more profitable by going in the, in the rebuilding route. And I, I assumed in the back of their minds, they also felt like, well, we can at least build a contender quicker than bringing back this team that more than likely wouldn't win a title for a lot of money. You know, it's a mistake in retrospect, but I, I bet you that's what their thinking was. What say you? I I would agree that's what their thinking was. They probably thought they could, you know, do everything at the same time, essentially start the rebuild that they wanted to re- the restart. They, they were probably so confident in, in Jerry Krause and, you know, Reinsdorf was probably so confident in Krause. And obviously, Krause was confident in his ability to rebuild that, you know, they probably thought that, you know, we built this championship team that won six odd titles in eight, in eight years. We could do it again. I'm sure they had that feeling. We could do it again by also cashing in and still making bank from a revenue perspective while keeping our player costs down um, during the rebuild and thus earning more profit during the time. So for the two Jerry's, I, I can understand why it made sense. But I see well, this is why I'm not prepared to give Ryan's off any 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 uh, leeway at all because I, I mean he did say in the in the in, at the conclusion of episode ten that he went to Phil and basically said anything that was said before previously about you not having your job, you know, that's in the past. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm overruling and saying you can come back next season. But he said that at the same time as saying it was still going to be a rebuilding season. So he offered the job to Phil in '99. Under the proviso that it would still be a rebuild, it would still it would still go ahead in terms of the rebuild itself. Kraus would still be around, so you're making mm. that offer to Phil. But based on that, that obviously Phil was never going to come back, and if Phil doesn't come back, then Michael doesn't come back. So Jerry can say that he offered uh, Phil Jackson to come back and and offered Michael to come back, but really what he was offering was uh, nothing to do on nothing on their terms essentially. And whilst I accept that, you know, maybe they may have made a more more of a profit in the in that one loan season in 99. Obviously, there's no way we, that I personally can quantify, but just think of the negative backlash and potential lost opportunities that you have from having Michael Jordan continue his career uh, with the Bulls for another two or three seasons. So maybe he doesn't retire. Maybe the whole Wizards, the whole Wizards era never happens. And Michael, who knows? Maybe he wins another title. Maybe he doesn't, but at least we get to see the GOAT play one more season, two more seasons, three more seasons, whatever it is. But to just to break it all up for for money reasons, and, and yeah, maybe Steve Kerr, maybe uh, Scotty Pippen may have been overpaid. But like I said, like these guys, including Jordan, mostly Jordan, 
had turned you had turned you into a billionaire, had made you so much money, continued to make you so much money. I mean, the Bulls are still a global brand. Their likeness. I mean, the reason I'm talking to you now, they are still a huge iconic franchise that Reinsdorf makes money on. He makes billions on or millions on per, per year. That is all to do with Michael Jordan. So from my from my standpoint as a fan, you, you can sacrifice some profit in, in 98 because you were sort of making bank in those first few years when Jordan was earning only two or three million dollars per year. So I, I, I've got no, I've got no stance or no position where I, I have any ounce of me that wants to defend Jerry Reinsdorf. And to me, he's, he's the sole reason the whole thing ended and he is the true villain of this documentary. All, all good points. I still, you know, I still have some harbor, some positive feelings for Reinsdorf. Um, I, I think overall he was a good owner, but there's no denying um, that, you know, especially when you compare it to what the Lakers did for Magic Johnson. If there was ever a player in the history of all organized sports that deserve part ownership of an organization, it would be Michael Jordan. And the fact is, the way his story played out, he played two years for another franchise. Uh, it's just so disappointing, disheartening in retrospect, it makes me want to throw up. You know, I don't know what else to say. I hope that this can be rectified in some form or fashion. I hope those two can, you know, he still did, obviously. I mean, you, you would have to be insane not to recognize what Michael's contributions, and I'm sure he tried to do that by, you know, the statue, etc. But I agree with a lot of what you said. I hate to admit it, but it's true. Yeah, it's 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 just tough for me to get past. So that, yeah, that was my feeling at the conclusion of of the last dance it's it's kind of been my feeling post the last dance as well like I, I haven't listened to any or haven't consumed any content related to the last dance to me it kind of feels like like season eight of game of thrones where i was so invested to everything that was happening prior to that season but then i left that end of that conclusion or the, the conclusion of that series just feeling so down and so annoyed about it all that i just stopped immediately thinking about it stopped thinking or consuming any content in relation to it that i wanted had i wanted nothing to do with game of thrones and i kind of felt that same way with the last dance because i was so annoyed at what sort of transpired that i i didn't want to listen to any podcast about it i didn't want to read anything about it i know it's odd to say given that we, we are literally podcasting about it now but this is the first time i've actually thought about episodes 9 and 10 after it aired because I was just so so angry and you know maybe other Bulls fans feel differently and I, I completely understand I'm, I'm sure there were many who were who, who end that in their viewing of that feeling uh, super fondly about that era and I, I completely get it and like I said maybe it says more, more about me than it does does others but uh, I just can't I just can't get past that I don't think it's going to die anytime soon though I gotta tell you it's like an entire cottage industry of interviews from people associated with that team. And I think so many people felt that they were kind of given a, the short straw that I think it's going to continue for months that you're going to have. I mean, look at today in Chicago, Mark. I mean, you're not here, but all the sports airwaves are awash with this Horace Grant interview with David Kaplan earlier, where he, he called out a lot of stuff with MJ. And it's clear that there's major issues between him and Michael. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have a quote from this interview. Lie, lie, lie. If MJ had a grudge with me, let's settle this like men. Let's talk about it or we can settle it another way. But yet and still he goes out and puts this lie out that I was the source behind the book. Sam and I have always been friends. We're still great friends. But the sanctity of that locker room, I would never put anything personal out there. The mere fact that Sam Smith was an investigative reporter, that he had to have two sources, too, to write a book, I guess. Why would MJ just point me out? End quote. And there were a lot of criticisms of Michael in this. 
it's bothering me a little bit. I think Craig Hodges' critiques were utterly ridiculous. I mean, listening to some of that stuff, I love Craig Hodges. He's one of my favorite players in a Bulls uniform. I think he was a very underrated player. But for him to go out and say, you know, like some of his critiques of Michael talking about the cocaine circus, why did that come up, etc. I'm just like, come on, man, give me a break. You know, like it's an it's a documentary meant to be entertaining and if somebody was a part of the cocaine circus they can tell their family members that they weren't part of it you know defend themselves but to act like you know this is not interesting or this is something that fans wouldn't want to learn learn about and some of his other comments like you know michael uh Craig Hodges basically had the indicated that Michael was a little bit of, let's let's be honest, a ball hog. And then if he would have shared the ball more, some of them would have been, you know, could have achieved greatness too. Give me a break. That's, that's insane. That's nonsense. And I was laughing at a lot of that interview on NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, But, you know, God bless Craig and Godspeed. Yeah, I certainly haven't seen or heard the uh, the Horace Grant stuff. I've read articles that refer to his quotes and, uh, and all those sorts of things. So I'll tune into his uh, his interview later on and just hear his own words uh, and the content on like, the context of those words. But yeah, I'm not surprised that certain bulls in this documentary are feeling the way they are. And uh, we haven't really heard from Scotty at all either. Uh, um, it's been reported a couple times from a different people, a couple different people that they believe that he's not uh, overly thrilled about the way he's been portrayed in this uh, docu series as well. So. Yeah, it's interesting how his teammates will fare coming out of this. Not that he'll ultimately care because, I mean, he didn't care when he was playing with it, with them, really. So, well, why would he care about uh, their reaction to this documentary all these years later? So, it's an interesting subplot to your point, which will keep this conversation going. And uh, I want to keep this conversation about The Last Dance going as well. But before I do, let's take a quick word from our sponsors. First, let me tell you about Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. I also want to tell the guys listening about Blue Chew. Looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to bluechew.com. Bluetooth.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Bluetooth's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, back to the show now. And uh, Fred, we were talking about Jordan's teammates and how they were portrayed in this particular documentary, how they feel exiting this documentary there's there's clearly a few that are uh, feel egregious and you know Horace Grant most definitely is one 
given the fact that he's sort of uh, been portrayed as the one who snitched to Sam Smith around the 92 period, I suppose, when the, when the Jordan rules came out. Uh, like I said, Scotty reportedly hasn't been overly thrilled about the way he's been portrayed. Craig Hodges we talked about. Um, but but another thing that I sort of felt watching episode 9 and 10 was, and maybe this this, take, this takes the conversation to a different place, but I, I and you sort of alluded to it before, the fact that Jordan had you know, essentially once he left Chicago, he never really came back. And that was another feeling that I got in, in watching this, that so many of the faces that we did see from a Chicago Bulls perspective haven't really been connected with the franchise since in any way, really. I mean, there's been a couple, obviously, John Pax and Scotty had that special advisor role for a brief period, but I was obviously uh, lost that role this year. Horace is in that role sort of now, but what does that even mean? Coach has a similar type role. But, I mean, most players who exit the franchise don't necessarily come back on good terms, which is disappointing. I don't know if that's the case with Michael. I'm sure he still has fondness for Chicago, the city, his teammates, the Bulls themselves, but the people within the franchise, I, I don't know. But I don't know. This, I, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up is that I think the set, that, that little segment that they did on Steve Kerr was probably my favorite part of episodes 9 and 10. And uh, I thought that was the most moving part. It was the, We didn't necessarily learn anything new. We, we knew most of that stuff no. about Steve Kerr. But given the person Steve Kerr is, I could listen to, him, listen to him talk all day and just his personality, who he is, how he fit with Jordan, how he fit with the team. And I, I just had that feeling once we got done watching that segment of, you know, how did we not bring Steve Kerr, someone like him, back into the organization in some shape or form? Well, not even just Steve Kerr, but most of these former Bulls. It, it, it sort of just feels, it, it's just a bad feeling to me, at least as a Bulls fan, that so many of our greats, so many of the uh, of the players that we sort of immortalized during this era, uh, even beyond that era, we can th- we can talk about the latest era too. How, how, how they end on such poor terms or how they exit the fran- franchise on poor terms. That was another feeling that I had watching this too. And I guess we, you know, you, we got that sense as well from Michael, the way he was sort of talking about not getting that chance to come back. But I, I felt it too with Steve Kerr as well. Well, uh, I got to disagree with that assessment, Mark. I mean, I know partly is the fact that you're in Australia, but Tony Kukoc, Scotty Pippen for a long time was a Bulls ambassador. He was brought back with with open arms by Michael Reinsdorf. Uh, Horace Grant is a Bulls ambassador. There's a lot of former players that have been invited back to be part of the organization. I mean, those three, I, I would argue Horace Grant, uh, Tony Kukoc, and, and Scotty Pippen. I mean, who else would you invite back ahead of them? John Paxson's obviously involved with the organization. Um, we had Randy Brown as a coach for a long time. I think they've done – at least in recent years under Ryan, Michael Reinstorf's leadership, understanding the importance of bringing these guys back and, and, and selling that internally and, and, and also to the season ticket holders. Um, obviously the biggest problem is Michael, you know, you didn't, you, you made mistakes back in that era where he was allowed to become an owner of another team. He should have been an owner of the Chicago Bulls. That was something that they, that they definitely missed and struck out on, but I don't hold that against Michael Reinsdorf. He, he, I don't think he was in the decision-making process when that happened. They made a mistake. You know, they're paying for it now, but definitely I feel like a lot of the former Bulls have been brought back. I was at an event two years ago, three years ago for the Windy City Bulls where I got to spend half an hour with Tony Kukoc, who's one of the best experiences of my life, along with 50 other people. Um you know, Horace Grant at a, an event. I, you know, obviously before Bulls Outsiders, I sat with Horace for two hours and just asked him question after question, talked on a lot, long, large variety of topics, but you know, all his 
comments were very fond towards the organization. So I think that's a little bit unfair. Scotty Pippen obviously was recently let go uh, as a Bulls ambassador, but frankly, he deserved to be fired. He should have been fired, you know, with his incredibly <laughs> stupid comments that he doesn't know who the players are. I mean, God, if I owned a team and I was paying somebody, you know, what are you paying for? My goodness. You <laughs> Those were absolutely insane. It's just Scotty being Scotty. Occasionally, every other year, I'll come up with an incredibly dumb comment. I still Scotty love him. Continues, hey. <laughs> Here he goes. I still love him. Still great. <laughs> one of the great Bulls legends, the second best Bull of all time. They retired his number. Paxson did a lot to try to bring him back into the organization. But I got to say, unfair uh, characterization. Yeah, I, I, I disagree. I mean, just look at Horace Grant, the way things ended with him and the, the way he was. It took a long, long, long time for him to come back to Chicago. But I mean, he's back. Didn't... He's back now, finally. But after, what, 20, 25 years, it did not end well at all. Well, I asked him specifically about that. Horace, why did you break my heart and leave? I, well, he so, took the money. Did I ever tell you this story? Uh, uh, so I, I walked in and, and it for the it was the I think January twelfth two thousand nineteen. I was on Bulls Outsiders uh, before the during the Utah game. They played Utah away. I, I stepped in and there's Horace Grant sitting there and Kendall Gill in the uh, green room. We got to watch the entire game together. And the first thing I said to Horace, I go, Horace, well, I gave him a big hug. Number one, guy looks awesome. He's massive, six ten. Uh, you know, just looked incredible. I said, Horace, I hope you don't mind, but. I'm going to be asking you question after question for the next two hours. So tell me right now if you want me to shut the hell up. He's like, no, go ahead and fire away. And I just be proceeded to have two hours of the best conversation, locker room talk with Kendall Gill on to my left and Horace Grant to my right. But the, one of the first questions I asked Horace was, why did you leave? What happened? And he goes, would you leave for $30 million? He goes, I, I was basically given a contract for, I think it was, I think it was five years, 50 million. I can't remember what the exact terms were, but when it came down to it, Orlando offered him like 30 million more. And I said, Horace, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I first got out of college, this one company offered me, I think 42,000. The other company offered 28. I went with the 42. So we just shook hands and we agreed. <laughs> you get that, Mark? Are you there? Did you fall asleep? I thought it was no, a good no, joke. Anyhow, so we talked about that. We talked about a lot of things. And uh, where, where was this going? I, I forget. What was your original question? The point question? was, yeah, he left for the money, but those negotiations were tense. It didn't, from my recollection at least, it, it, the negotiations didn't go well. And when he exited the franchise, and obviously exiting and taking the more more money as he should have, as most people would have. I'm talking more so from the relationship standpoint. I mean, a lot of players will leave franchises and, and, you know, go and play for a different team for whatever reason, whether it's money or something else. The ties that they have to that organization aren't sort of, uh, they're not broken to an extent. And it took a long time for those to be mended with, with Horace at least. And I think the same can be true. I think the same can be said for a lot of players. I mean, if we think about the way Joakim Noah was sort of booted out of the franchise and what Reinsdorf had to say at that point. I mean, Derek Rose, that's probably a little bit, a bit of a different story, but even Jimmy Butler, we know that, um, that didn't end on, on great terms either. So I'm, I think more generally, it, it, the way it ends initially is pretty damn bad. And, uh, it may take, a very, very long time for those wounds to heal. In some cases, it won't. In some cases, it will. But uh, that's how I felt about Steve Kerr in the sense that he probably doesn't have any uh, any poor feelings, let's say, towards the Bulls. But uh, even if that isn't the case, I, I'm listening to Steve Kerr talk. He talks so eloquently, talks so fondly about his time in Chicago. I mean, 
we've obviously seen what he's done with the Warriors. He was a GM at one point as well. Obviously, a, a commentator for for a long time as well on, on TNT. These are the types of people you want to retain in your organization, but we're bringing back, I don't know, Randy Brown and other little random guys like that. Tony Kugoj? Uh, Tony Boris Grant? Tony, like I said, they, they came back Scotty recently. Pippen. They came back yeah. recently. They, they're not synonymous with the way... When you think about the Lakers and their former greats and how connected they are still to their franchise... Compared to the Bulls, it's it's not even a comparison. I guess that is. Hey, l- l- listen, let's just let's just end it with this. I agree with you. At that era, there were a lot of problems. Delay how that ended. There's no doubt. It's inexcusable. I think under his son Michael Reinsdorf, and it started when Pax took over as GM. They've done a lot to try to bring back these important figures in our history. And so I least I I least think they should take solace and rest in that fact that that they're really trying to. Uh, to make an effort. And I, I think that's no, there's no doubt that's being done. Look at, we got a new executive team in here and I think going forward, you should feel solace that things are going to be much better. <laughs> wow. Now, <laughs> Why you completely changed my opinion. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Mark, come on, man. This is the doggable nation in you just like, just <laughs> going wild. Come on. It's not that bad anymore. You talk to any season ticket holder, some of the experiences they've had, and I, I'm not even a season ticket holder, and I've had some incredible experiences with this organization. I can't say enough good stuff about it. They're fantastic in the community. Yeah, there were big mistakes at the end of that, that those six titles. Nobody's going to deny that. But things are much brighter right now, and, and we should be a lot more positive. You need to get back on, 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 the, on the boat. On the boat now. It's on the bus. But uh... – <laughs> No, you're the most biased Bulls fan out there. You, your fandom can be bought, so I'm not, I'm not listening to you at all. So, uh, what are you talking about? All I have to do is wave one evening with Horace Grant in your face, and all of a sudden you were smitten for the Bulls. And Jerry Reinsdorf. That wasn't Kras, even with the Bulls. Else, that was with NBC. Anyone else? Uh, they, they throw anything related to the Bulls in your face, and you are completely and um, <laughs> completely, completely overwhelmed with it to the point where you cannot say a bad thing about the franchise. So, oh, I cannot. Here's my hope that you come visit the Americas and I take you uh, to uh, visit Tony Kukoc. But yeah. right before we meet him, before we open the door, <laughs> I'm going to make you uh, have a public announcement recorded that you uh, re- renounce all your past transgressions as a member of Doggable Nation. What do you think of that? Well, look, I mean, international travel is probably not going to happen for at least another <laughs> two to three years, maybe. Oh, that's that right. oh yeah. So, right. uh, yeah, maybe in a few years I'll try to get over there, mate. Um, I definitely want to meet you in person one day and um, have one of these podcasts in actual in actual person. That would be interesting. But yeah, sure. If Absolutely. You wanna, if you want to treat me to a night with Tony Kuka, Charles Horace Grant, and try to have them sell me over or win me over to the point where I jump from Doggable Nation to Sea Red Nation or whatever you want to call it these days, the Big Red Boat. <laughs> um, then You'd I'll, be a then great first mate. You'd be a great first mate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got to ask you, yeah. has there been a lot of talk down under about Longley as much as I've seen here? What's yeah. the what's the dealio? There has been some talk probably last week more so. Um, the fact that you know, he wasn't part of the documentary. He hasn't necessarily said much himself. I don't think I haven't seen anything written about Luke Longley or a quote from him at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's been some discussion. I mean, The Last Dance has hit the airwaves on local sports radio to a degree because again there's nothing there's no actual sports going on so the uh the last dance is getting its coverage and um to to some degree so in in reference to that obviously Luke, Luke Longley being connected to 
the Bulls during that era. He, he he does get mentioned, but yeah, there was some talk, not an overwhelming amount of talk about it, but um, yeah, he like, it was clearly omitted from the documentary. Maybe he's one of those teammates that doesn't too uh, feel too fondly about uh, Michael. I know they, there was some reports that uh, the, the logistics of it all in terms of getting Longley over uh, or, you know, getting the, the director over for interviews, all that sort of stuff wasn't necessarily possible or too expensive. It wasn't in the budget. So mm. there's a few ways you could sort of read into it. But um, I was looking forward to Longley being connected to it and, and sharing his thoughts on it. But uh, obviously, he wasn't part of the documentary at all. Interesting. Yeah, he seems like such a good guy. He's in Perth, right? How far is that away from you? Perth is a, about a three-hour flight from me. Oh, but, geez. Uh, yeah, everyone's, everyone speaks extremely fondly about Luke Longley yeah. and his influence on Australian basketball. Even Australians connected to the Chicago Bulls has been a few throughout the years. But uh, yeah, Luke Longley is one of those uh, forefathers of Australian basketball uh, from a men's standpoint. So uh, his influence, yeah, I don't know if there has been more any more that have been more influential than Luke Longley. He's, he's certainly in the probably top two or three. That's for sure. That's for certain. Well, yeah. I hope to, uh, when I get down there, I'll spend some time with you and I hope to visit Luke and do an interview with Luke. And then maybe even uh, I'll visit Chris Ancy to tell him how horrible he was. Well, uh, don't do that because Chris Ancy is a nice person. Uh, oh, maybe, he is. Maybe, maybe, right. maybe we can also check in with uh, Cameron Bairstow and see how he's going. <laughs> he's got a great hairstyle. <laughs> Luke Shencher, I think, was a former ball as well at one Luke point. <laughs> so I think, I think that's the only four Australians. I, I'm, maybe I'm forgetting another, but um, you know, maybe when ben, ben Simmons eventually becomes a, a Chicago ball, we can have him on here. I'm sure he'd be more than willing to uh, I'll, spend it. I'll never forget a game. I, I can't remember what year Chris Anstey was on the Bulls. I think it might have been 99, 2000. One of those horrific, yeah, yeah. terrible years. <laughs> and I was at the United Center and he collapsed on one play, fell to the ground and he got up. He had his legs crossed and he got up like just envisioned somebody with their legs crossed getting up without like touching the ground. So he got up straight up from having his legs crossed. And me and my friend just looked at each other like that was the least athletic it was the most pathetic way to get up that i've ever seen <laughs> i mean he's one of our one of our greatest players to be honest with you. Chris well, i'm Anstey. sorry he for was, that he was an absolute star in australia uh, he had a great career in europe too um, didn't make it in the nba but uh, in terms of his influence in australian basketball as well he was one of our best players through uh one of our best eras so i uh, i take offense to the way you were framed, his ability. He, he was a great player. <laughs> okay. He was a great player. Right, but we'll we've reached the portion of the, of the show, Fred, where we're talking about Chris Anstey, Cameron Bairstow. So that, to me, signals that we're probably at the at the conclusion of the show. <laughs> but did, did you have any other final thoughts before we uh, end our last dance conversation about episodes 9 or 10 or even the series in, uh, in large? Series was fantastic. It was a great diversion during this times of trouble. I'm so glad they moved it up. Um, I think I hope it, hopefully it has educated. I think the number one purpose is educating the younger fans of what happened. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot with my son yesterday. He had no idea about a lot of stuff that happened. He didn't even really know about the flu game. He knew about the flu game, but he didn't know all the you know history behind it. How it was game five? How Jordan stepped up and really won the game by himself. It just it was really great to see the younger generation get educated, and I think hopefully counteract this effort to define LeBron as the greatest because as someone who's seen them both play, it's clear it's Michael. There's a Grand Canyon and LeBron's number two. So any type of effort to paint 
what I think is an accurate statement that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time is uh, is well worth the time, and it was very enjoyable. So I loved it. I hope it continues a renaissance in discussions on NBA history. I think these are all good. Um, I can't say enough about it. I thought they did a great job. Again, my biggest problem was Tony Kukoc was really just given a short straw. He was a lot more integral to us winning, especially in 98, than one would be left with an impression about. So I hope that's rectified in some form or fashion with a documentary on him. I am working on a doc. I think I mentioned this to you about the three alphas, and uh, I can't wait for that to come out. Yeah, neither can I interview it you? Be, it should be great at least in 2055 or whenever it's finally uh <laughs> Finally, finally produ- uh, produced. Maybe, uh. maybe as you're on your deathbed, as you as you drift into the to, to the nether, you look up and there's <laughs> on on the TV my uh, documentary on the three alphas. I think that'd be a great way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I'm meant to feel about that comment, to be honest. With you, but um, yeah, straight. Uh, if if that's the way my time on this earth ends, then I certainly know where I'm going and it's not upstairs. <laughs> then it, uh, <laughs> In fact, that might be a great, what a great image for, for the final part of the doc is as you give your final comments on the, on the three alphas that pan to your hand as the, as the remote falls to the ground. Uh, this is an extremely dark way to, uh, to end the podcast. But, uh, I mean, this is, uh, yeah, this is how Satan will welcome his, uh, his followers to to the next life that, that is for sure oh, there you <laughs> briefing go. them on the an Barry. episode or yeah briefing them on the uh on your documentary the last office that's that that'll be the way he does it i think <laughs> but um you know if that is my fate then then so be it but, um, thank you for that dark thought frederick but uh yeah, yeah <laughs> the only other thought that i had on the last dance if i could some some way or somehow segue back to that after that very interesting comment from you is i don't believe the pizza story at all what do you Not mean? Not one bit. I don't believe it at all. So what do you think happened? There's no way that I believe five guys went up to Michael Jordan's bloody room and were able to get a sneak peek at Michael Jordan, understand that the pizza was for Jordan, and somehow that pizza was poisoned and it got all the way to Michael Jordan. There's no way I believe that. Really? I believe wow. he was sick. I was He was clearly sick. I believe he had some sort of ailment, whether it was the flu, whether it was food poisoning, whether it was something else. But there is no way that I can accept that Michael Jordan, one of the guys, one of the biggest names and faces on planet Earth at that point, you know, five guys could just walk up to someone's, uh, up to Michael Jordan's hotel room and just hand him a pizza, and 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 there would be no so there would be no sort of clearance at all, and it would be that easy to get to Michael Jordan. I just can't believe that. Well, as a former uh, maker of pizzas in the late '80s and early '90s, <laughs> no, the early '90s, if I found out that Bill Lambert's pizza was being ordered, I would absolutely spit on it. <laughs> but how, how would they know that? Like, how how would they find out? Like, if you're Tim Grover, let's say, why don't you just go at the front of the damn uh, hotel and just sort of pick up the pizza from there? Like, why? Yeah, I thought that was kind of bewildering. Like, you know, there's five guys there, but why would they make it up, Mark? Come on. What, what what's the whole purpose for? You're like the biggest conspiracy theorist in the world. You can't believe this one. It's not really a big, big stretch. Uh, I, I believe. It. Just 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 go with it, will you? No, I'll, I'll, we've heard it. <laughs> what do you see the conspiracy part about the three alphas and why Nico was uh, suspended for a game? Yeah, that that is uh, complete lies. <laughs> You're, you're, I will be on Chicago ready the next day, seeing screaming lies, 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 just like Horace Grant is right now. So, <laughs> but uh, look, I think we've reached the uh, the natural conclusion point of this episode, Frederick. Uh, thank you 
for joining me on this one as you have been the last few months as the co-host of the show. I have certainly appreciate your wisdom in going back and thinking about the last dance, thinking about the 98 era, or not the 98, the 90s era, the Jordan era, let's say. It's been fun to uh, to go back and look back on some more fun times during this odd, strange time that we're all living in, and particularly when the Bulls themselves aren't uh, necessarily that noteworthy right now. So um, thank you for doing that. Obviously, Bulls fans, if you want to follow Fred on Twitter, you can do so at CBE Fred. Tune into his podcast, to Chicago Bullseye. He's, his most recent episode, he did a did an interview with Darnell Mabry, two-part in- interview. One was on the Chicago Bullseye feed. Go listen to that on Fred's feed there. And you can come back to Bulls HQ, listen to part two with, with Darnell Mabry on the Bulls HQ feed. Fred, that was a nice interview, mate. Thank you, brother. I mean, Darnell is a, a true a wordsmith and incredible interview. Always fun. Did you hear the part where I, I, I asked him to apologize to uh, Boylan for calling him a vi- village idiot? I did. did you hear I that? Did, yeah. Of course I Was heard. that on yours? Yeah, it was on mine. <laughs> So luckily, I, I sent him a note and said, uh, you're not a village idiot. You're just a village ordinary person who shouldn't be coaching an NBA team. Well, um, I'm sure he's appreciative that you reached out and uh, <laughs> at least clarified that. <laughs> but no, that, that was a good listen. So Bulls fans, after you've done listening to this episode, go back if you haven't already. Listen to episode one with Darnell Bambry on the Chicago Bullseye feed. Listen to part two on the Bulls HQ feed and uh, you will get a good interview with Fred with Darnell maybe, but that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. We don't know when we'll be back next, maybe in a week, maybe in a two weeks. Depends on how this NBA season's unfolding. There are some rumblings that basketball may be coming back, so who knows? That may dictate our schedule going forward, but you know, just be on the lookout. Wherever you get usual podcasts, that's where you'll find Bulls HQ. That's where you'll see Fred and I, and we'll certainly let you know on the socials when we are coming back, but that is just about it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining us. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.